the Lloyd's List Shipping Podcast. Shipping's persistent piracy problem has all but disappeared off the radar of late. Attacks are still happening, of course, but according to the International Maritime Bureau's latest annual report, maritime piracy and armed robbery attacks have reached their lowest recorded levels in 30 years. Yep, you had that right, 30 years. Last year, there were five attempted hijacks of ships recorded. Only two of them were successful, and only one of them saw pirates actually fire their weapons. Compare that to the relatively recent heyday of the Somali piracy scourge where hijack attempts were happening on a daily basis. And in 2011, 237 attacks cost the industry a collective $8.3 billion in ransom and insurance costs. Well, it seems that the piracy risk has subsided. So, have the pirates hung up their Kalashnikovs for good? Well, probably not. Piracy in the Gulf of Guinea, the epicentre of today's most significant security hotspot, has clearly been on a downward trend in the past few years, but illegal oil bunkering and pipeline vandalism is at an all-time high. And while the hijack business model may have been broken, armed robbery against ships, particularly in domestic waters, is also not going away. So this week on the podcast, we are looking at what the recent lull in piracy activity actually means for maritime security and whether it really has disappeared. We look at the regulatory crackdowns and also explore whether the current lull in piracy is really just a rebranding of statistics and rampant underreporting. But let's start with a few figures. IMB's annual report recorded 115 incidents of piracy and armed robbery against ships in 2022. Now, that compares to 132 in 2021, with half of them occurring in Southeast Asian waters, particularly in the Singapore Straits, where incidents continue to rise. In the Gulf of Guinea, the most significant area of concern for shipping, there were just 19 incidents reported last year, and that's down from 35 in 2021. So I start this week by asking BIMCO's Head of Maritime Security and podcast regular Jakob Larsen whether he thinks this 30-year low point in recorded piracy activity means that the industry has finally got its piracy problem under control. Uh, No, I don't think that is is the case. I mean, you have to look at the broader picture. There are many many factors that have um, contributed to to the development that we've seen today. And for Nigeria, obviously, um, it has been uh, mentioned that... uh, the increase in illegal oil bunkering uh, is part of the explanation. The oil prices make that activity very uh, attractive right now, and, and it's believed that a lot of the organized criminal gangs have now moved into to, uh, to that industry. Um, field research uh, in the Niger Delta also show that um, high-level actors controlling pirate groups um, were paid and rewarded uh, to stop financing or allowing uh, this criminal activity, um, while individuals at low level uh, involved in piracy uh, found their way into oil bunkering as well. Um, so the key factor really remains that oil bunkering, when compared to deep offshore piracy, uh, entails less risk and significantly higher uh, reward and profits. And actually, these uh, words I just spoke, they're not uh, my own. They are really found in in a recent EU study that was released in December 2022 uh, that that looked into the connection between uh, piracy and and the uh, massive uh, oil theft uh, going on in Nigeria right now. 
So several explanations, and, and one that I might also add is that um, what has uh, driven uh, these uh, uh, actors to to um, uh, pay or reward uh, pirate groups to to stay away from piracy that's that's also an interesting bit and. And my analysis is that uh, a lot of the political pressure that we have uh, mounted from the industry and and beyond uh, on uh, Nigerian stakeholders, drawing a lot of attention to the problem, requesting uh, foreign navies to intervene because of the severity of the problem, I think that uh, is also part of the explanation. Of course, while piracy incidents are down and the headlines have moved on, they haven't gone away completely, and it's worth reminding ourselves that statistics have not always told the full story. Here's Cyrus Modi, the Deputy Director of the International Maritime Bureau, which collates the industry's standard reference database of piracy incidents. If we look at the Gulf of Guinea, um, the Gulf of Guinea has traditionally been an area for concern um, for us for several years. Um, and it was without doubt number one being overshadowed by somali piracy because that was in the media in the press um during during the during the the, the sort of the peak days of somali piracy between 28 2008 and 2012 hmm. but what was also happening is the fact that gulf of guinea piracy was being underreported significantly and from our sort of statistics, which we were then comparing with others, um, other service providers, the we were finding at least a, a forty to sixty percent underreporting of incidences within within the Gulf of Guinea region, and that is you know, quite quite a significant amount of reports not being um, reported and identified. The root causes of the Somali piracy crisis were socio-economic. Somalia was a failed state that had effectively been without a functioning government for close to two decades, at the point that the pirates happened across the temporarily lucrative business model of hijack and ransom of ships and their crew. What stemmed that was a pretty extraordinary international show of naval force that, to some extent, still exists in operation off the Horn of Africa, albeit in a much scaled-down format. In the Gulf of Guinea, it's taken a similar show of naval presence to get the piracy under control, and there's currently between about 10 to 15 naval ships in the region with a brief to combat piracy at any one time. But that's only part of the picture, as Martin Kelly, the lead intelligence analyst at EOS Risk Group, points out. As demonstrated time and time again, military intervention into any sort of conflict or any security issue, military intervention alone isn't enough to combat these issues. So piracy isn't a maritime issue. It's root causes are socioeconomic issues um, from the land domain. So if you look at Somali piracy, this is primarily driven from the, the fishing community uh, and West African piracy arguably comes from the, the Niger Delta regions where Nigerian youths are then frustrated that they're not receiving any revenue from oil exports from Nigeria. And so where in the past people have organizations have just used militaries to to counter piracy i think now they're looking more at capacity building where they are trying to build relationships um, with the communities and involve them more in the decision making process now i think it's worth pausing here at this point to define what we mean when we talk about piracy that may sound odd but 
there is an important distinction between piracy and domestic maritime crime. Cyrus Modi again. The definition of piracy is coined under UNCLOS. Um, and if I'm not mistaken, it's Article 101 of UNCLOS, which, which lays out what piracy is. And typically, it it encompasses three or four major points. Number one, it is an illegal act, which would term it as or, or put it under a, a, a box of a crime. It has to be on the high seas, which is outside the jurisdiction of a state. It has to be from one ship to another ship. And it has to be for personal gain. When an act of piracy is occurring, the response to a report of piracy can be undertaken by any jurisdiction which is capable of doing it at that point in time. And the main reason is because the vessel is on the high seas. Now, if we have the exact same incident occurring inside territorial waters, the responsibility to respond to that incident lies on that particular coastal state alone. Mm. Again, it makes sense because no coastal state would want a foreign um, entity to come in and respond to an incident which is happening in their waters. So this is the main difference. So it, in, in, in our opinion, it assigns responsibility on who is going to be responding to a reported crime of either piracy or arm robbery. That distinction is important because although piracy incidents are down in international waters, maritime crime is up. And that trend has been partly driven by the show of force from navies. One incident in particular is credited with changing the pattern of piracy. On the 24th of November 2021, the Danish frigate HDMS Esbern Snare responded to the intelligence of a piracy threat south of Nigeria. In the ensuing fight, four men were killed. One fell overboard and four were arrested, including one man with severe injuries to his leg. There were no Danish casualties. The suspected pirate vessel sank shortly afterwards. Well, if you look at incidents um, since the uh, Danish frigate interdicted uh, pirating, incidents seem to shift closer towards territorial waters and in ports and anchorages rather than on the high seas. In fact, during last year, 70% of the incidents were under the definition of maritime crime rather than piracy. And I think the main shift here is, as we have just discussed, that foreign militaries can't intervene in territorial waters and West African coast guards are generally not as well equipped as Western militaries and coast guards. And so the pirates have got a higher success rate conducting crime at West African ports and anchorages rather than on the high seas. And throughout 2021, and there was the largest ever military presence in West Africa. And that probably explains why the piracy has moved closer to the shore, because they can't be, um, they can't be intervened, can't be interdicted. The actions that suppressed Somali piracy were something of an anomaly. Dealing with functioning governments where territorial waters are off limits to naval assets, well, that is necessarily more complex and requires often very difficult collaboration between literal states. I guess... Maybe it is uh, 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 just the nature of the the location and the region in which 
in certain instances, it does take a lot more time for these sort of structures to show and to prove that they are in, in place and they are, they are of benefit to the region. It also boils down a lot to resources, the trust which is there between, um, or the traditional trust which has been there between um, the, 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 the littorial states. So it, it is, there's definitely the political undercurrents which have to be overcome for a common benefit of um, uh, safer maritime waters. But at least it is being, it is being spoken about, it is being, it has been put into place, it does get reviewed on a, on a regular basis and then you have the international community which is also there to, to um, either put best practice forward and to be there as as a let's say a holding hand to to encourage these um, these collaborations to succeed because at the end of the day trade is international in Nigeria specifically but across Gulf of Guinea governments piracy is now a domestic political issue it's also a campaign issue as Nigerian elections loom and a show of force from the Nigerian Navy has become a political imperative. So absolutely, the situation in Nigeria is, is more complex, but that doesn't mean that um, piracy cannot be suppressed. And I think that's what we've seen over the past couple of years, is that development where the presence of international navies, um, increased political pressure, um, uh, the fact that the topic has uh, come up on the agenda uh, domestically in Nigeria, all these things together have contributed to, to creating this uh, quite positive situation we have uh, at this very moment. Now, do I believe that uh, we can now declare uh, the piracy problem in Nigeria solved? Um, not at all. I think the, the organized crime in Nigeria uh, still exists. And uh, while the criminals have now found their way into other business areas, uh, there's no question that the minute uh, piracy again becomes uh, attractive, uh, they will move into uh, piracy again. So I think for the industry, it's about staying on their toes. Uh, it's about keeping up the defense levels. Uh, and it's about not giving uh, or not making it more attractive to for, for the pirates or would-be pirates to, to come back into that business. So we have uh, a lot of work ahead of us, and we cannot afford to let down our guards now. For the industry operating in Nigeria, that means staying alert to piracy threats, but it also requires the industry to navigate some pretty difficult domestic political attention. Stephen Askins is the lawyer acting on behalf of the owners and operators of the heroic Aiden. The ship, which is operated by Norway's OSM Maritime Group, was initially detained by Equatorial Guinea in mid-August last year, based on an alert from Nigeria that the crew may have stolen crude oil from its terminal. But as Mr. Askins explains, all of this stemmed from what was essentially a misunderstanding that has snowballed amid some pretty difficult politics that add yet more risk to shipping from those that are supposedly trying to tackle the piracy. So I think that what we've seen um, is a much, ag much more aggressive posture by the Navy, both offshore and onshore within the Delta. And in particular, they've been tasked with targeting the oil theft industry in Nigeria, which and there have been signs recently that 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 has been successful. That has meant that the um, oil refineries, the business of the alternative business of the pirates, 
um, has been really severely disrupted. And, and that has made hideaways in the Niger Delta much, much more difficult to establish and maintain. I think that the ecosystem of piracy has also broken down. I think that those, because there was always, um, there must have been a tacit acceptance of, or people being paid to look the other way. So the, 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 the warlords, the pirate warlords, if you like, the kingpins, they are not getting the same political protection as they got before. The, 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 the refineries are being attacked. People are turning on each other. There are no hideaways or safe places in the Delta. And therefore, the risk, and this, we saw this off Somalia, the risk of being a pirate has become much, much greater. And, and I think we've always seen that if you increase the risk of being a pirate, then um, things get better. Now, in terms of, but, but what has then happened in terms of that, um, that, that task to protect the oil trade is that they're much more aware of what shipping are doing in and around their offshore waters. And in this particular case, the vessel was, was legitimately chartered and sent to the ACPO terminal for loading a cargo from, from ACPO terminal. And there was obviously a charter party chain and, and there's some very well-established charters in that chain. Now, what happened was, is that the vessel was allowed to approach the terminal without the necessary NNPC clearance and therefore the naval clearance being in place. And that was just simply a factor of time um, because it, it, it did emerge a day or so later. But, but when the vessel was told to hold off outside the exclusion zone, the naval vessel, knowing that it didn't have naval clearance, approached in the middle of the night without its AIS on and said, who are you? What are you doing? And do you have the necessary papers? Now, the master jittery on a VLCC in the middle of the night off the Niger Delta, obviously talking back to shore, talking to risk consultants, talking to his insurers, they didn't like they didn't like the feel of it. And no one could verify that this was truly a naval vessel. So the master not unreasonably said, I'll go further offshore, at which point the Navy said, no, you've got to follow us back to the Niger Delta to Bonnie. And they became very aggressive. And the master said, listen, could you please turn on your AIS? so that we can establish your identity. And the communication which should be there through MDAC, GOAG, and back to the naval headquarters, that wasn't working. And so the, the vessel moved offshore. In the process, the master issued a mayday. Um, he did not, as the Nigerian Navy say, um, call them pirates. He, he said, I'm, I'm being attacked, or it feels like I'm being attacked. And so you have this misunderstanding. You have two captains one of a VLCC who reacts in accordance with industry practice, and a naval captain, probably a junior commander on a patrol vessel, who feels he has the right to do what he's doing. It is a classic misunderstanding. Then I think it's the problem was, is that the Navy made a big thing about this. NNPC did not move quickly enough to say this was a legitimate lifting of fuel. There was a bit of a gap in the story. And what seems to have then happened is that the Navy took umbrage that after 18 months of good work, and it is good work, and the industry should be thankful for what the Navy have done, um, they, they took real exception that a ship had referred to the Navy as pirates. And rather than just standing back and saying, how can we avoid these misunderstandings in the future? It became this huge political and very political um, football. 
Now, the heroic Iden case could be seen as a salutary lesson or a political anomaly, depending on which way you look at it. But according to Bimco's Jakob Larsen, Nigeria is still not an area where shipowners can take anything for granted. I think also in general, I mean, shipowner companies, they are aware that uh, the Nigerian uh, context, political context and, and security situation is different compared to Somalia. The dynamics are different. Uh, and that also means that you know, shipowner companies, they are uh, more careful, I would say, when, when talking about Nigeria. Um, so they are sort of less prone to, to uh, jumping to conclusions when it comes to Nigeria. I think everyone knows that it can be quite unpredictable and something that the past has also shown where you go back 10, 15 years, uh, oil theft was uh, the major problem and then all of a sudden uh, the trend uh, 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 jumped towards um, uh, kidnap for ransom and now it appears that you know something else is happening. So. So I think people are getting used to or are aware that Nigeria is is a place where you can't sort of easily predict what will happen around the corner. One of the things that are also coming up now is the uh, 2023 presidential elections. And uh, security is usually uh, uh, features high on the political agenda in the run-ups to, uh, to the elections. And, and that could also be part of the explanation that uh, the security situation has improved uh, a bit in Nigeria. So it will also be interesting to see what happens after the uh, elections take place uh, in, in February. Will we see um, a return to, um, to, to past uh, times where kidnap for ransom was again on the agenda, or will we see a continued uh, lull in, in piracy? We hope for the last, but we fear the first. So if there is a conclusion here, I would say it's that while piracy incidents are certainly down, the risk to shipping has not gone away. The underlying causes, as you rightly pointed out, will always be a risk which could at any given point in time, if the environment is right, um, create or allow piracy to um, increase again. It is right. Um, create or allow piracy to um, increase again.